Hello and welcome to the Just In Stride podcast. I'm your host, Justin Pugliese. If you love endurance sports, you've definitely come to the right place. On this show, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, and professionals who can help us reach our true potential. Being a student of distance running for over 10 years and interviewing people in the sport for the last five, I've learned a ton, but there's always more to discover. Everyone has a story, and I know you'll resonate with each of our guests as we embark on this new journey together. Join us at home, on the road, or while you run. Together, we'll have some fun. So follow along on Instagram at JustInStridePod and your favorite podcast platform and prepare to be inspired. Come along for the ride with Just In Stride. This episode is presented by our friends at Exact Nutrition, a tasty and healthy way for you to fuel your body before, during, and after a solid training session. I can't leave the house without a few fruit bars in my pocket and they never make it back home. Exact is offering you 15% off your order when you use the code JUSTINSTRIDE. So head to exactnutrition.com and fuel your goals today. I recently asked if you had questions for a running coach via Instagram and you delivered. Listen carefully to see if I got to your questions in this next episode. I'm hoping to have more chances to interact with you through this show, but what a great start. Please feel free to reach out on social media or email if you have guest suggestions or questions you'd like to ask. I'd love to hear from you. Today on Justin Stride, we learn a lot about training with chartered professional coach, John LaFranco. He's not only a runner himself and a knowledgeable coach, but a true student of the sport. Accredited by the Coaching Associations of Canada and Manager of Coaching Education at Athletics Canada, John is helping the athletes of today and those of the future too. We go in-depth on training methods, recovery strategies, old theories, and new. It was fun to listen to him speak about a sport that has made such a huge impact on his life and how he's evolved as a coach after more than 20 years of experience. Welcome to the Justin Stride podcast, John. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, this is kind of fun because uh, you're my coach, so we get to have you on for a good conversation and pick your brain a little bit more than we do on a like a more regular, you know, regular basis during chain blocks and stuff. So it should be fun. Yeah, good. I'm I'm excited to to talk. I like to talk. And I mean, we've spoke a few, uh, like maybe a few years ago, and another show, and you know, certainly probably things have evolved in terms of coaching and training and i know you stay up to date with a lot of the training methods and stuff like that and um, make it part of your practice yeah for sure i mean i think there are there are things that are different and things that are the same like um i guess so one of the things um you know that's like sort of the latest craze i guess you could call it is the double threshold workouts right so this is something people are super super into and i mean it's not like a big change in training theory or anything is it's based on the same idea that you know you you do some intensity and then you recover and when you recover that's how your body adapts so the idea here is just that you do two workouts on the same day so it's you're you're creating like a a bigger stress which should in theory allow you to have a bigger adaptation but you know, like before everybody runs out and starts doing like two tempo runs a day, like you, you kind of have to think about, okay, so if you're doing that, you have to have 
like leading up to it, you have to be pretty well rested. So if usually say you do like, you know, workout Monday, workout Wednesday, long run Saturday or something, that's usually what we do in our group. So if you wanted to do like a double threshold on Wednesday, well, you might not do a workout Monday. You might have an easy day, easy day, and then double threshold and then easy day, easy day. You want to have, you know, space around it to make sure that you're going into it strong and then that you recover from it because the recovery is where uh the changes happen um so that's i mean that's one example of you know training i guess sort of a new thing but it's not that new and it i think it so it comes out of the the norwegian right uh, ingebrigtsen's like i think that's where people have heard about it the ingebrigtsen's shared their training and, and this is what they were doing but i mean if you look at there there's also you know out there uh like in triathlon training like the they're done now i guess but like the brownlee brothers had put out their training and there was you know stuff like that like in triathlon you do a hard swim in the morning and a run workout in the in the evening um so it's not like crazy it's just when you when you're training like everything is a progression and everything is about adaptation so you want to make sure that you are you know, kind of maxing out the the stuff that you're doing before you go to like this new thing. So a good example of this is like altitude training. Um, so I think, okay, altitude training would be good, right? Because you go and it's like, it, it's, there's less oxygen in the air and it, it, it encourages your blood to produce more red blood cells and all this stuff. But if you're only running and like we could kind of go at some point, I guess, talk about like, just sort of like the basics of training. But like, if you're, if you're only running like 50, 60 K a week, you don't need to go to altitude training to get a more, a bigger stimulus. You just need to try to run more like at, at home and, and maybe do, you know, we talked about double thresholds, but just do double runs, like easy run in the morning, easy run at night. Like there's lots of things you can do before you buy a plane ticket to Arizona or Kenya. Um, so that's something to think about is like, where are you in training and what's the the next logical step for you rather than like, Oh, what's like the thing that's, you know, the, the hack or there's no, there's no hacks, you know, like you have to do the next step first before you get to that step. Yeah. And, and who, how do you know that those training methods are good for you? Like who are these types of training methods, like a double threshold right. designed for, um, what you know what is a, a true threshold like for people that don't know and then why would you do that twice in a day like where's where like you, you mentioned where this is coming from but how do you know that that's the right thing for you to do yeah it's a really good question so threshold means so there's there's um i'm trying to think where to start let's do like full digression we'll go just like just start i'm gonna give you because one of the questions you had sort of said we might talk about it's just like what you know what do you think about training so let's start at the beginning and then we can we'll get around to this like back to the double threshold question is that all right can we do yeah, that sure yeah okay so the way i think about it is there's three kind of elements of training there's the frequency of training which is how often you train there's the volume of training which is how much and there's the intensity of training which is how hard you train so the first thing you have to do is the frequency like you get out the door you know, every day. And this makes sense. Like when people start running, they run maybe a couple times a week and then they add another day and they add another day. Um, and that's, it's, it's the same process as when you're running every day. It's just, it takes your body longer to recover. So if you've never run before and you go for a run, you're going to be sore for a couple of days and you're not going to run until, you know, maybe two days later, as you improve, you're going to be able to, you know, run and then 
come back the next day and run again and again. And so that process can kind of evolve to where you, like I mentioned, you run twice a day or sometimes three times a day. Like the, I, I have coached an athlete who did get to the point where they'd max everything out. They did go to Kenya and they were running three times a day there. They get up super early, 5am, go for a little run, uh, come back, have breakfast. The main workout of the day is usually around 10am. And then again, relaxing all day. Cause like, that's the other part is like the in-between is, you know, it's, it's hard recovery. Uh, and then maybe a little jog in the evening for the third one. So the frequency is, is the sort of the main thing. And then the good thing about frequency is that it's scalable. So even if you're, you know, doing uh, 30 minutes a day, if you're doing it every day, you're getting out the door and that's the hardest part. And so it's very, it's much easier to go from, I run, you know, five times, six times a week, 30 minutes to go from there to running 45 to running 60 minutes a day. Cause you're already out there. And you, you know, you're, it's going to get easier and easier uh, Then to go from like two days a week to four days a week. That's like a whole change in your schedule. It's another day of running. So that part is actually the harder part. Once you get to every day, then, you know, then you can start to increase the volume. And so I, I feel like I have this like reputation and I don't know if it's just, you know, me imagining things, um, but like that of like, people think I'm this like volume coach. Right. Um, but it's not really that I'm a volume coach is that, I mean, you do need to run. It's, it's a fact that, that the, you know, the amount that you run is very directly correlated to how fast you're going to race. I mean, there's, yes, there are a lot of other things. You can't just run easy. You have to do workouts and strength training and all that, but the, the more you can run, the better, um, you, you better you'll be. And like I coach, you know, a lot, a wide range of, of athletes. Um, so think of the university group, you know, they're like kids coming in from high school and they're not running a lot. So I'm not saying like, okay, first week of university, let's go hundred K this week. Like that's dumb, right? <laughs> like you wouldn't yeah. want someone to do that. Um, but you start where they're at. So they're 45 K. Okay. Let's try to do 60 K, you know? And, and then with the intensity, like you have to, in my experience, again, I've seen that the injuries and setbacks happen when you start incorporating the intensity because that's it's it's more intense the body will you know you want to induce some kind of a stress and that's why we do fast running when i say intensity i mean basically fast running in lots of different ways you have to do that but you have to be careful with it because that's where you're on you're riding the line if you just jog every day for you know even for like an hour an hour and a half like you're probably not going to get injured as long as you build up to it slowly because you're you're not making a big like you know, structural demand on your body. So usually, and the other thing is usually you don't want to increase, you know, more than one of these things at a time. So frequency, volume, intensity. So you start with frequency, then you, when you get, you know, to like every day, then you, you know, run more and then you can add intensity. You can add a little bit of intensity. So one of the things that I've, added kind of recently and you, you know you're aware of is the the mini progression right mm -hmm. um and and i think that's so such a great bit of intensity because so it's it's basically you know during your run you run a minute 10k effort 45 seconds of 5k effort 30 seconds at 1500 effort and then uh like a four times 15 seconds at say 800 meter effort but it, it the paces aren't 
it doesn't have to be specifically that. Like some people might be like, I don't have an 800 meter pace. Like, what is that? Right. It just means progressively faster so that when you're doing those 15 second ones, they're like, like what people would know of as like strides, like you're, you're going pretty fast because you want to work the turnover. So it does a few things. One, it turns over the legs so that when you go a later eventually to do, you know, intervals, it's not like that's, you're not maxing out when you're running like 5k pace. A lot of, I would say, what you call sort of like, you know, adult recreational runners like have a hard time with the intensity because they've never, they haven't pushed that envelope. Like kids who come up through high school track, they get a ton of that. And, and so it's like, it's like a movement pattern that's ingrained. So it's a lot easier to, to, you know, kind of add in that intensity. But if you're coming from, you know, a different sport, I mean, other sports, obviously they do running and they run fast, but it's a bit different. Like you need to kind of establish that range of movement patterns and be able to go over speed, if you will, like faster without hurting yourself. So that's the, the mini progression is kind of one way to mitigate that so that when you go and do the workouts, it's not like the fastest you've ever gone. Um, and the other thing is physiologically, it actually like that little bit kind of, it, it pumps a little lactate into the system. So lactate, we're going to talk about threshold, right? So the threshold is like this, this, threshold this limit of when your body is when your body creates energy out of you know oxygen there's there's kind of a bit of a, a byproduct which is lactate i'm not a science guy this is a very, very <laughs> like rough estimate of what's going on here but there's a yeah. byproduct and, and it's there's hydrogen ions and then lactate and so that is what you know kind of makes your legs start to feel heavy at a certain point and the threshold is kind of the point where when you go faster than that then you know that you you're going to have to stop and slow down eventually. Like if you stay below as in slower than your threshold, then you're like, you're at that pace where you can, you feel like you can run forever. Obviously you can't run forever. You're going to get tired. You're going to get hungry, whatever, but like, you're not going to be stopped by that feeling of like, you know, my legs are dead or I'm like out of breath. Right. So that's the threshold. Um, and so the threshold is related to lactate, the mini progression, will pump a little bit of lactate and that signals to the body to recover in a kind of, I don't know, more like advanced way. Like if you go for a jog, your body's like, oh, you asked me to do this thing. I need to be better prepared for this next time. So I'm going to make the physiological adaptations to do so. When you pump a little lactate, it's a different kind of recovery. It's like, oh, now we have to be like ready for like, you know, a, a more intense. It wasn't a lot, but just even that little bit sends that signal. So there's like um, a study and it's it's sort of funny. There's a coach in Canada in, in Calgary. His name's Les Gramantic and he's Hungarian. And um He's like one of the top sort of uh, multi-event coaches, like combined events, like decathlon, heptathlon, that stuff. And um, and one of our sort of like, he used to be the head coach of Athletics Canada. Um, he's the, one of our sort of key coach developers. So the coach who teaches coaches. And he was explaining that like they they did these studies about recovery and like the the best 400 meter race for people usually happened the day after another 400 meter race. So you would think like you race an all out 400, like you're going to be tired the next day, but actually because it's, you know, 400 is not so long. I mean, it's, you know, 44 seconds or whatever, like, cause the, what the world championship was won in the other day, like yeah. it's still, yeah, but you could come back the next day because the, your body gets that signal and then it gets that boost. Cause it's like, Oh, you've asked me to do this, this intent bit of intensity. So that's sort of the idea is that like, including a little lactate in the, in the easy days, uh, helps with, with recovery. Um, and then, yeah. And then like the, the intensity part sort of like the workouts can, there's so many workouts, like 
you can kind of do whatever. But so we were talking about double threshold and and that. So the reason that you would do like two thresholds is that it's the recovery from that can be relatively quick. So if you were to do, you know, like say 10 times 400, like really fast, it would be very challenging to come back and do another workout that day of a similar type. Like you, you really need like a solid 24 hours, but a, a threshold, you can, you can be recovered enough in like eight hours that you can then do it. The caveat is this though. And like, I'm not trying to accuse anybody of anything, but when you see workouts from the top people in the world, you have to think of two things. One is that their training load over the years is just, you know, so much more than people that, you know, sort of people like you and I, but two, there's just sort of the specter of like doping and, and what doping, you know, there's lots of different ways to dope, I guess, but like generally speaking, if you talk about EPO or testosterone or stuff like that, it's not like people sometimes think, oh, it's like a power boost, but it's not that it helps you recover faster. So again, not accusing anybody of anything, but, but that would be like, if you were doping, that would be something you would do to take advantage of the fact that you were doping is put, you know, hard workouts on the same day. So d- does anyone in, in our audience here really need to get to double thresholds? I, you know, I don't know, like to get to the, get to like running do- just double easy runs is like, is something like if you haven't done any double easy runs, why are you going to do double threshold? Right. All right. You know, so anyway, that's that's sort of my long take on that. But I I had thought about that whole like sort of frequency, volume, intensity, and I wanted to kind of put that out there as kind of like the basis of like what what I'm thinking when I'm you know coaching and, and devising plans for people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And is there like when we talk about easy runs and frequency, like is there a number we have to hit in order to benefit from that? Like somebody might listen to this and say like, okay, maybe I'll run, you know. 10 times five minutes and you know, that's a good frequency, you know? Right. That's a good point. Um, so you got to start where you're at. So, um, for, I mean, example, so I had, you know, this, I guess the audience doesn't know this. I had knee surgery in January. I fell and shattered my kneecap and I, so I didn't run for like six months. So I'm making my way back. So I'm running now I'm up to like, uh, 10 times three minutes running one minute walking. And, and that's, you know, people who just start running, will do that kind of run walk thing. Um, let's say you're, you know, you can run, you know, continuously for 30 minutes, 30 minutes is kind of the sweet spot. So there's, there's some good videos. Um, Jack Daniels, who's a, a running coach, uh, has some good videos explaining a lot of physiological stuff and that, and one of them, he talks about how 30 minutes is kind of like the, the, the baseline for an easy run like you could obviously if you go if you haven't run and you go out and run for 20 minutes like that's better than not running um but 30 minutes is sort of how long it takes for everything to kind of you know get engaged and for your body to go like oh this is something we need to adapt to right that's that's the purpose of all the training is to to make your body go oh we need to change something internally to adapt to this to get better at doing this specific thing that you're asking us to do so 30 minutes at a time but again if you don't run at all then you know 30 minutes to start is maybe going to be hard you work up to it but then once you're sort of into regular running every day then like you know probably your your you know shortest run is, is 30 minutes okay good i think by now by now you know people listening probably know you you know what you're talking about like can you go maybe Give us a little background on you athletically when, when running became a passion of yours and, um, you know, how you developed into the coach you are today. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, so I guess I was really lucky in that um, there was a, a good running coach in my elementary school who happened to be like the lunch lady. So she was lunch lady and she also was a track coach and she sort of said to the school, hey, like I can do track practices for kids. So we would go, um, I don't know if people know Toronto, Ontario, um, uh, my school is in sort of the east-ish end. So we would go to Moss Park um, and just run like a, a grass loop about 400 meters uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday at lunchtime. We'd run, you know, try to run more loops than last time and then sit and eat our lunch and and then go back to school. Um, so that's sort of where I started. And like in my elementary school, um, it was a small school, French school. So there were like 60 kids per grade kind of, so it wasn't a very big school. And so 60 kids per grade, 30 boys ish, 30 girls ish for the teams, the sports teams, there were maybe half the boys were kind of athletic. So I was on a lot of teams. I was very bad at basketball, very bad at soccer. Um, I was, uh, we didn't really have a baseball team, but I played baseball outside of, um, of, of school. Like I played little league, like from like 10 to 14. And then again at 17, um, I like baseball. I, I feel like if I hadn't been a runner, I, I would like to have been like a, a really good baseball player, but, um, yeah, so, you know, we I did a bunch of sports at there and, but running was the one that kind of clicked. And then, um, the high school I went to St. Mike's college in Toronto, um, is sort of known as a running school. Like it's, um, it's also known as a hockey school, but, the, the, the cross-country team has won the City of Toronto Championship every year since 1979. And this year is the 40th anniversary of winning the track overall team title every year since 1983. Um, and my dad went there. He was not a track and field athlete. He was a football player who smoked. <laughs> uh, so, but my uncles, my mom's brothers went there and did run. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I went there and it was just like, you know, like being, being placed in, in a, in a kind of a great running culture where it was like the runners were celebrated and you just, every day after school, you just go to practice. So you just finish school, go down to the gym and go for a run. And, you know, and there's like, it's not, again, not a huge school. There was like about seven or 900 guys, boys, a boys school. Um, and we had like 70 kids on our cross country team. So it was just like a big, you know, big run. And we had the, teachers we had like four or five teachers that were coaches and um yeah so we just did that and so it was just like you know that's how to how running became my thing I guess and then when I went to university I was like yeah I definitely want to run in university so I went to Waterloo and um and I was coached there I mean so Brent McFarlane who was the Canadian Olympic coach in 96 which is the summer before I started university he was the head coach um but he was like a sprint hurdles coach so he didn't really interact that much but the the uh, cross country coach. There was John Swarbrick. There was Terry Goodenough. I just want to like name drop them because I feel like you know it's important. Mm -hmm. The high school coaches like Paul Barry, Frank Bergen, and actually now the coach at St. Mike's is Paul Fitzpatrick, who was on the team when I was there. Wow. Um, so yeah, so in university I ran for Waterloo, and and then I um, I went to UNB and did my masters, and I ran there with uh, Tim Randall, and that was sort of like so at that point I was not like I was okay. Like, I think it's funny if I, I went back to the high school and they were, they, the coach Frank introduced me to the team and he's, this is one of the legends. And I'm like, well, legends, like, no, you know, but like, whatever, it's just like high school lore. Like, that's how they keep it going. Right. As they build this. Anyways, I was like, I was like third best on the team in my last year. So like, whatever. Um, but, but I was always, yeah, you know, sort of like, you know, okay. 
Uh, never like super good. And at the end of university, I was like, okay, there's no more team. Like, what am I going to do with this? And I talked to the coach and I was like, what, what do I need to do to keep going and, and be better? You know? And he said, well, you got to run more. And so I had been up to that point, probably running like, uh, and this, you know, maybe he's dating myself, but like 30 to 40 miles a week. So I don't know what that is in kilometers. Like, uh, it's like 50 to 50 to 60, I guess, 50 to 65, something like that. Um, kilometers. And he's like, yeah, you just got to run more, like try to go for like 60 miles. So like hundred K. So I was like, okay. So I, I just like, I had two years of masters and, and the first year I was eligible to run for the team, but the second year I wasn't. So I had kind of a year kind of in the same, you know, group, but like, I didn't have the sort of pressures or constraints of racing and I could kind of figure stuff out and do other things. So I, I did do that. And I just remember thinking like one week I had run, I don't know, like 74 miles, I think, which is again, sorry, I'm not good at, that's just how I kept track. <laughs> I was like 120 ish K or something. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh my God, like I will, I could never run more than this in my life. Like this is so, I'm so tired. This is so much. And, um, the other interesting thing that happened as I increased my mileage was, was I always had kind of knee issues and I had been pro- placed by you know running shoes stores and physiotherapists but in progressively more and more kind of stability shoes and like orthotics and this and then at UNB that our, our trainer was this like guy who's mostly with the hockey team and he uh and he kind of looked at my feet and he looked at my shoes he's like why don't you just go with like just basic shoes and I was like okay so I didn't do that quite right away I just kind of like went down to the next level and every time I got new shoes I would get like less sort of stability shoes. And as I was doing that, my mileage was increasing and like my knee problems were not a problem anymore. Mm. Um, so like running more made me stronger and allowed me to kind of be a bit more resilient. Like I, now the, 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 the Achilles heel is the Achilles for me now is usually the thing that that's weak. Um, I think it's, I don't know, I guess everybody has something, but I mean, other than my my reconstructed knee, <laughs> um, now, but that's new. So yeah, so I just sort of started doing more and then by, so then I, I moved to Montreal with my, my now ex-wife of my, sort of my first marriage relationship and, and, um, cause she was going to school here and I got a job at Concordia and, and then like within a year or two, we kind of split up and like, I, but I had like really gotten into the mileage and I remember I had like, uh, we did one road race, like the Pac La Fontaine race, and I had dropped like a minute off my 10K. I went from like 34 to 33 minutes or whatever. Like, still not that amazing, but like, still like a big jump. And 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 that's sort of what I was like, oh, the mileage, <laughs> you know? Like, because <laughs> like the workouts were st- always a struggle for me. Like, I'm I'm not as an athlete someone who like I don't love the hard workouts like i would do them and and i I thrive more on tempo stuff myself like the thresholds is like where i felt like i was improving a lot and i often found that too like i would have a a spring season where i would do you know mileage and tempos and you know then run a a spring 10k and it would go really well and then i'd get into the track and do faster stuff and like i just wouldn't run a good 5k on the track so i don't know so maybe there's something there like for me, I mean, it's a weakness that I need to work on, but also sometimes, you know, you want to like focus on your strengths. So, um, anyways, but I, I think, so to the coaching question, like I started coaching probably when I got to Montreal and I think it was partly because I was like exploring with myself training and trying to figure stuff out. And then, so I was reading a lot and I had done coaching courses and, uh, and so I was like, okay, 
I guess like if I'm asking these questions for me, I can ask these questions. I can help other people answer these questions as well. So we had in our club, it was called Fleur de Lis. Um, and we, uh, there were some people and I sort of the coach that I had, Francois Pap, we sort of talked and he was kind of like at that point more advising me than coaching me. Like he was like, okay, like make your plan and then we'll talk about it. Um, and so he's like, yeah, make you know, like take, why don't you coach like some of these people in the club? And so I started doing that a little bit and that's sort of where it happened. And also I started teaching at Concordia and then I was going for my runs out of the gym there. And the guy Vlad, uh, who was like running the recreation program was like, Oh, you should start like a running team here. And so I did. And that's sort of where the Concordia group kind of came out of, um, yeah. 2003. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I, I, I was always just curious and interested in like, why did I suck? <laughs> and then when I got better, it's like, oh, how did that happen? You know? Right. So, so just curiosity, right? It's, uh, yeah, that's usually how things progress and you keep asking questions and try and figure stuff out. What do you, what are some aspects? So that club's now 20 years old. I just looked down. It's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. What, what are some aspects do you think make a good coach? Not just for yourself, but just as a general rule. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, curiosity is a good one. Openness. I actually had a conversation this week with, um, a guy, um, in, in BC who's doing some research into coaches and, and coaching and like basically he had us go through like a personality questionnaire and he's sort of trying to compare the results to like the coaching results and see if there's any, you know, particular, uh, personality traits that might, you know, be indicative for coaching. Um, and we had some good talks like so one of the i forget the the five elements there but like one of them was agree agreeableness and i'm actually not a very agreeable person um people who know me might might be like yeah no kidding but <laughs> um but like we so like so how does that affect coaching right like you know you want obviously i'm not a coach you know this i'm not a coach who's like you know like yelling at people or like you know being very demanding necessarily but i think what the way i interpret it is that the, the people that I coach mostly, so university athletes and like, you know, uh, competitive adults, like you, know, you don't have to be fast. You just have to want to get better and want to do your best for you. Um, you know, the, it, that requires in an athlete doing stuff that you don't like to do sometimes. And so my role as a coach is to say, okay, you say you want to run, you know, like a 245 marathon. Okay. Well, this is what you need to do to do that. And, you know, the, the pact is sort of like, well, you, you trust that I know what it takes to do that. And you're going to do those things. And sometimes you're going to feel like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Do I really have to do that? And my job is to be like, yeah, I do it or, or not like to listen and be like, you know, like if, you know, if you're like, oh yeah, like my hip's still bothering me from the last marathon I ran, then it's like, okay, you know, the, the disagreeableness is sometimes when the person's like trying to run and you're like, you know, maybe you, maybe you should take another week off or maybe you should just like waited out um you know because runners tend to be kind of impatient <laughs> um because like for for good reason like you like to run so it's you know the worst thing to tell runners like well maybe don't run for a bit right they don't like to hear that sometimes it's necessary um so a coach needs to be able to push back a little bit um but you know not you know to be mean about it like it's mm -hmm. all in the delivery right <laughs> yeah totally that's yeah i mean it's all part of it that's a great great answer to the question it brings up like a lot of ideas and and thoughts um like when do you 
listening to your athletes, how do you know when an athlete is overtrained or how, how can an athlete identify when they're over overtraining? Yeah. So, I mean, we try to keep track, right? So we, we use uh, the final surge app and, uh, encourage people to, to put in what they're doing is usually, you know, you can sync your watch, but you can also add comments and just like how, out of 10, how do you feel? And, and so I like when I make a plan, like, you know, I don't do like, okay, here's your 12 week plan. It's like, okay, here's your doing this week. And then we see how that goes. And then we do next week. Like there is a plan, but it's like, I'm not going to say, here's what you're going to do. Cause like, I don't know what you're going to need to do, you know, in three weeks. Cause I don't know how you're going to react to the, this week of training. So, um, you kind of look at that and you see how people are reacting and, and like, you have to look for trends over time. So like, if someone's like, Oh my God, my heart rate was super high. It's like, okay, but like, is that your normal heart rate or is that actually high? Like we need to, you know, figure that out. And then, um, good example. So I coach a guy, Bruce, Bruce Brown. Uh, he's the, he, he won the Boston marathon in the 70 plus age category and he won the Chicago marathon in the 70 plus category. And he's going to go run Berlin, try to win that. Um, it's been a bit of a, not, let's say non-ideal buildup this, this summer, but he's going to give it a shot. So this week, uh, Bruce, you know, in his comment was like, you know, on like a whatever Friday, we're a little tired Saturday run or oh, a little tired, supposed to do 26 K did like 24 K was feeling tired Sunday, still tired. So I sent him a note. I'm like, Bruce, go, do the, you know, Monday was meant to be a shorter run, like 45 minutes. I'm like, if you're still tired again after Monday, we need to change something up here. And so then he was like, no, I know I was, he was fine. But like, you know, to me, if you have like three, three days in a row or three workouts in a row where it's just like not good, then, then you got to be like, okay, like that's, you know, three, if you, you know, you, you overdo it three days in a row, you're not going to be overtraining. You're not going to like, you know, like your iron's not going to crater, like, you know, you'll be okay three hard days in a row, but you, you just have to kind of stop it at that. Like, I think three days is, is the kind of the maximum. And like you, you know, you have to listen to your body. And like, sometimes it's normal to be tired depending on what else you have going on in your life. Like that's another thing is you, you know, I know Bruce, so Bruce is 75, he's like retired, but he's very busy. Um, you know, he was in Toronto for his, for like a, a wedding, I think. And he's always like, you know, repairing his dock at his cottage and stuff. He's very active. Mm -hmm. So, so you have to take that into account, right? Um, so it, yeah, it sort of depends. And the other thing, like, you know, in terms of, yeah, the expectations and being tired, like I heard this on, the, um, the Magnus and Marcus podcast, which I'm hot and cold on. Like I, I like them. Um, I could, I usually skip through the first like 10 minutes where they're like selling their, like their, their different stuff or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do like, you know, I, I just think it's always good to listen to what coaches have to say regardless. Right. Cause like everybody's got different experiences. So anyway, um, one of the things that I think Magnus said was like, you know, you, every is the rule of thirds, like your workouts are going to be a third of them are going to be like amazing. A third of them are going to suck. And a third of them are going to be like, fine. So if you know that going in and then you have a bad workout, you're not going to like panic or freak out because you're like, well, okay, you know, not so good today. And then the next one's going to be fine. And then you might have a good one or whatever. But if you start having like consecutively, you know, things where they're not going well, that's when you're like, okay, let's hit pause. You know, like another athlete I, I coach, um, in Toronto, her name is Katie. And like, she just, she had a lot of stuff going on in her life. Like they like moving and like, you know, her 
job. She had time off, so she was traveling, and then they got a puppy, which like is a puppy is like a new baby. Like it's insane. I know a couple people who had puppies recently that I coach, and it's like <laughs> it's like ruins your life. But so her, her, her puppy's amazing. But like anyway, like you know, it was just like she just wasn't getting the workouts in and stuff. And so we just decided, okay, you know what? Let's just put it on pause. Just run as you feel for the rest of the month. And then we'll reconvene in a couple of weeks because there's no point in forcing things when it's not going well. Cause you can't like, if you do that, then you will get overtrained or injured or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much into it. Like from an athlete point of view, it's always like, if we take the rest, we feel like, um, we're not going to progress or we're losing something. And that's, it's a, it's not, sometimes you need the rest in order to progress, you know, and, and the parts you say of thirds, like we, as athletes want to make our coaches happy and we want to have a good, um, we want to practice really well. So we get the results that we were looking for in the, in the races too. You know, there must be, I'm sure you have good examples of, of athletes who maybe didn't think their workouts were great and then went and had a, a great performance. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I, I think that's it. Like the workouts can't be the be all end all. Like, so to go back to the, you know, basic principles like volume, right? So there's another sort of corollary in there that I think is, is fairly well known, like the 80, 20 principle. So about 20% of your work needs to be like faster stuff. So if you think about that, so say you're doing round numbers, hundred K a week. So you're going to have about 20 K of, you know, faster stuff, maybe like 10 K of that is like threshold tempo stuff. And then, you know, you know, they're like a few K that's like your strides or whatever. And then you have some intervals. So say you have in that week, you've got some 400 meter intervals and your coach is like, do them in a minute 20. And you're constantly coming in at like 122, and you're just beating yourself up. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm not in my splits. I'm not in my splits. So out of that hundred K in the week, those two seconds are like what percentage, right? Like a small percentage. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, it's like it, you're in the zone, the, the, the appropriate, you know, whatever physiological zone, it's, it, the zone doesn't change for like two seconds sometimes. And this is more, I would say for like track short, like middle distance track, you, you do sometimes have workouts where you're like, okay, I want to run a 1500 under four minutes. I'm going to run all my 400s in 63 seconds or faster to make sure that my body has done that speed. Like that is an instance where you do want to try to do that, but you set that up. So it's on a day where, you know, you can do that. Like it's not bad weather and you're rested and stuff, but like, that's like one, you know, workout in the, probably in the competitive, you know, season, the rest of the time, like you're still building around that with, you know, kind of ranges and zones and stuff like that. So you, you don't want to be too like, you know, precise, but of course, as you say, like runners are <laughs> and want to be, want to do everything right. And like, they want to run cause you love to run. Like that's very normal. Um, so I think, yeah, like, I mean, examples, like, I, you know, the two sort of, uh, I, I, well, yeah, probably most successful athletes that runner athletes that I've coached, like, uh, Mel Myron and Fonso Jari, neither one of them were particularly like workout heroes. Jari, especially Jari's workouts are always slow. Like he'll, he'll run like his tempos at like three thirty per K and then he'll go and run his marathon at three twenty. Cause he's, he's, and like, he's a bit of a special, he's like a baller. Like he's just, he's just race race day. He's, he always executes it. Like he always races well. Um, but see, it's important for the coach to know that and if I'm always riding him on like, dude, you got to be faster, you got to be faster, then I'm probably asking him 
to do too much, you know, like emotional work in practice and he won't have it left over for the race. Like he's able to bring it out, but, but you're able to bring it out because you have to guard your, I don't know, like creative energy or something, right? Like you, you have to, you can't be all on all the time. And so I think that a lot of athletes will leave it all in the workout because they think that it's like super important and like, yes, you have to do it, but you, you just have to, you know, sometimes you just have to take the attitude of like, I just want to punch the clock here. Right. And, and like, again, if that, if that feeling pervades over like a week or two or, you know, whatever, like a few workouts in a row, then, okay, you don't want that. Like you want to have enjoyment, you want it to be fun, but, but sometimes things are not fun and you're, you're sacrificing, you know, present fun for future fun. Right. And is there a danger to pushing too hard in all your workouts and then not having that, that, you know, go to the well kind of attitude for race day? Like for what, sure. is a, what is a, a runner like, like Jerry teach you, you know, as a coach? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, you, you don't want to go to the well every time and, and different workouts have different goals. So not every workout should be all out. Like a, a threshold workout shouldn't be all out because you're running theoretically like at a pace you could maintain for, you know, an hour, an hour, 15, but you're only running it for 45 minutes. So if you, if you're like totally done after 45 minutes, you've not done it correctly because you, you have run too fast. Right. Um, and, and, and I guess the other thing is that it's not just, it's not like a math equation, like just because say you just, you know, ran, raced a 5k and you ran in 20 minutes. So four minutes per K is your 5k time. But like that day, like, you know, maybe you didn't sleep well, you missed breakfast, your significant other was like complaining about something and you're upset or whatever. And like you go in and you just don't have that energy that day and you run 405, like physiologically, it's probably doing the same stuff. Like it's still VO2 max zone or whatever, but like, it's just not, you know, so you can just just kind of get it, get it done and, and, and it's okay. And like, sometimes again, if the coach is there, this is the advantage of having a coach on site is like the coach sees that and it's like, okay, like either just, just calming the athlete down saying, it's okay, just do them like that. Or saying, you know what, maybe just stop, maybe just stop today and, you know, feel better tomorrow and try again, you know, in a couple of days or whatever. Or like, I mean, so uh, an athletic coach just messaged me, um, uh, Sam, she's in California. She had just raced on the weekend and she raced like first sort of cross country race of the season. And so she's feeling, feeling kind of sore and you know, she's done a couple of runs since then. It's also like, she's a master's athlete. So she's got kids. So her son is going back to college this week. So that's like tough emotionally when the kid leaves home, it's not the first time, but it's always, you know, it's tough. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's not having like the most, like, it's not like, you know, she's not in like prime week. Right. So, so the workout today was like six times, six minutes at 12 K pace. Cause it, she's going to do a 12 K race. So she's like, should I go for like, try to do all six and try to hit the pace or, and just do them at whatever pace, or should I try to hit the pace and then just stop at four? And like, that's a great question coming from the athlete. She was very, you know, she's very self-aware and like understands that like, I'm not going to be able to do this workout exactly as written. So I'm going to, you know, proactively like seek, you know, advice on how to modify it so that I can get the best out of it. And, you know, I said, okay, this is one where it's like, do all six, but just like, you know, go slow. It's okay. Like, you know, shift down, whatever, it's fine. Um, so it's, it's important, you know, for the athlete is, and again, she's in California, so I'm not there. So it's, that's awesome that she can do that. Like if, if she couldn't, and then she just went and tried to do it, 
then you know then it's so she gets frustrated and then it's you know it makes it worse for next time because she's still she's digging a hole she's getting tired so you really have to listen to your body and 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 communicate with your with your coach i think those are two big important things and like jari jari's really good at that like yes like what yeah. he's taught me like he's you know and and because of his sort of schedule he's a teacher now and everything like he doesn't actually come to practice a lot but and partly because yeah like you'd be like i couldn't do the long run i'm gonna do it tomorrow so i'm not gonna do a workout monday so i'll do the workout tuesday so i'll do it on my own you know and like that's fine like that's good that's that's what you want mm -hmm. and would you would you prescribe to you know given the fact that life gets in the way of a lot of people like older athletes like myself you, you know full-time jobs not everyone's an elite not everybody makes a living as a runner would you prescribe to more effort base instead of like watching the watch on paces and stuff because it will vary but as long as you have that effort you know maybe maybe you kind of get similar results yeah yeah i mean mostly i always say effort um like i said the the, the specific case of you know kind of middle distance track requires to be a little more tight but um yeah like it's, it's always effort based i go by kind of race race effort rather than you know vo2 max or threshold or like heart rate percentage or something like that because i feel like that at least is something that that can be constant like if i say do intervals at 5k race effort you can replicate that um you know knowing the pace yes you know roughly where you should be but you can replicate it and know like okay like this feels right if I say like, go do, you know, like 87% of your, your max heart rate or something like, yeah, your watch will tell you that, but like, is it really that? And like, why is it 87? Like what, what, per, like, I know why, like, yes, there's a reason why there's a particular zone. Yes. But like, but we don't know for sure. We don't have, unless again, unless you're an elite and you're doing like testing every day and you have the best equipment, like that, those sorts of benchmarks are not real to me. Like, you know, even, even saying like, okay, like, and so this is like, let's think about this. Like I'm a bit of an outlier in Quebec because, um, most coaches in Quebec have come up through a system. Um, basically the sort of the, the, the grandfather of coaching in Quebec is a guy named Daniel Mercier. And you may have heard the name through the Mercier tables. So he made these tables that allow you to compare across distances and stuff. And Mercier was a very, like, he's still around, still coaching in France. Um, I still coaches some top people actually in France. And like, this is not to say this is not a good method, like it, whatever it works fine. Um, but it just, I didn't grow up this way, but like, it's a very sort of 1930s, like interval based method. So he'd be like 20 times 200, you know, is kind of your endurance workout and, and also very precise on like, uh, you know, VAM and PAM. So VAM is vitesse aerobic maximale, PAM is puissance aerobic maximale. And it's all like very cut and dry percentages of these particular paces and I, I feel like it gives the coach a false sense of control and of, of like accuracy that's not really there. Um, and so, you know, like I sort of always, yeah, all the coaches I've had have always been more pace-based and sort of effort-based and, and that kind of thing. And like, I don't know, this is maybe going too far, but I, I, I think because I, I also did a law degree here at McGill and it's like a common law, civil law and like Quebec culture is very rooted in the civil law tradition. It's very interesting that like, you know, on the surface, people who, you know, come to Quebec from outside of Quebec or who are from Quebec and leave can, can 
intuit differences in the culture. Like it is different and it's hard to figure out why, but I really feel like this, the civil code is the basis for Quebec society. And it's, so it's this codification. It's sort of very, a very rigid sort of, you know, regimentation of like, these are rules. This is how it goes. Um, you notice in Quebec, like there's a lot of acronyms. So like there's a lot of committees and things that government organizations, Outside of Quebec, and like you're in Switzerland now, so it's probably similar because um, it's a, it's a civil code society there. In, if you just go next door to Ontario or New Brunswick, whatever, it's the common law. So the common law is based on um, on jurisprudence. It's based on similarity and likeness. So if you're if you're arguing a court case, this is and this is America is like this. So all the court on TV is like this. Where it's like, well, in this case this situation happened and this judge ruled like this. And so this case is similar to this one. So we should probably decide this way. So it's, it's much more kind of subjective and like, you know, kind of situational. Right. And so I, you know, grew up in that way. And so I, that's sort of, I feel like it, it comes down to the, the coaching methods as, as well. Um, so I, I forget what the question was, but the, I, that's a, I don't know. One of my like, <laughs> philosophical thoughts sometimes about coaching and like why things are the way they are. Yeah. How much has that culture actually changed since you came up? Um, like Quebec culture? Not really. No, just like, like running, running culture, running. coaching, you know? Right. So yeah, running culture is interesting. Like I think it's, it's not different at all in some ways. Like, so for a while, you know, there were like the crews and the, the big running crew thing was like, you know, we're not a running club. We're not like your old man, like, you know, smoking cigars, like run club smoke cigars. But like, but I get it. Like it's, it's, I mean, the crews were exactly like what running clubs were just with younger people. And it makes sense that like 20 something people who are like into running and like going for beers after whatever, don't want to hang out with like 40, 50 year olds. Like it's just not your peer group. Right. So right. fine. And like the younger generation always wants to, you know, feel like they're inventing something or discovering something. Um, but it's not that different. And like another example, like I think, I don't know if this is the same guy, but you had a guy in your podcast, Tommy runs. Yeah. I don't know if he was the guy, was he the guy that was featured like in the New York times? Cause he's like a bigger guy or something. Mm, I'm not sure. Tommy Anyways, podcaster and I'm not sure if he's the same guy, but th there's, there's like a thing going around now. And that used to be the old, older version of this is John Bingham, the penguin. And this is the new guy. And he's like overweight, but he runs. And it's like this sort of like thing that like, oh yeah, you can be a runner even if you're slow. And like, of course that's never not been true. Um, and they're always going to be like, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but like assholes who are mean. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like, you can't escape that. It's not like a running thing. It's a, it's a human thing. Uh, running is simple. Like anybody can go run. They just need a pair of shoes and they go do it. And maybe it's run walking at first and then you build yourself up, whatever. Right. And, you know, entering in races and joining clubs are like the sites for this, for finding, you know, people who share your interests and, and it's normal that if you're like new to running and maybe you're overweight and that's why I come to running or whatever, you don't care. You're just running. It, you're not going to connect with people who are more experienced in running because they have different, they're experiencing it differently. And, and, you know, they don't like look like you or whatever. Like, I don't know if that's a big deal or not, but like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like it's, I, I, obviously if, if people are saying these things, then people are like, if they're saying like, oh, you know, I can still run even though I'm overweight, then someone has told them they can't, which is not a good thing. Um, but like, I think it's running has always been 
there. I think as like probably in the, I don't know, early 2000s, it sort of became a little more mainstream where like more people were doing it and races were open to people who were like finishing marathons rather than like racing them. And, you know, I mean, not to be cynical, but part of this is like, it's, it's, it's capitalism. It's like, oh, well, like, why would we tell people they can't pay us hundreds of dollars to come in our race? Like, who cares how long it takes you to do it? Like, you have to have a factor of like, okay, how long are we paying the police to close the roads? But like, it's probably like three hours versus six hours probably doesn't cost as much. So there's a sort of the cynical element of like, the races have opened up to this because like, they can make money, but also good because people are like, going and doing activities that they like and it's fun um so that's awesome i think that you know social media has not left the running world um untouched either in that like on the good side right like i think it does allow for people to connect and and learn um it's i think it's just been huge in terms of um sharing information about training like so to to go back a little in history like in the 90s there was well, let's go back further in the seventies, the, the running boom or whatever. Right. And there was, there, there were a lot of people running and running fast. Like if you look at marathons, it's not just that the average time of marathons has gone down because more people are running four hour plus marathons, but it used to be like that a marathon was like there were a hundred people running under three hours. And it was like, that was just what marathoners did. And part of the reason that that sort of stopped happening in the nineties, there was a a book that was published and I forget the name, but there was this whole thing about um, like threshold VO2 max training and stuff. And it was like the focus got away from volume. And at the same time that uh, African runners started becoming dominant internationally, um, like uh, American and less so Canadian and sort of European runners kind of got into this like, oh, intensity is better thing. And it actually like decrease the performances of those athletes. And so there was sort of like this lull in running, like there were no, you know, kind of running heroes, I guess, in the nineties, because the Americans weren't good. The Europeans weren't that good. And I mean, now it's different. You see, you know, people mixing it up like Mohammed and stuff. And like, it's partly it's because like the, the volume came back up, you know, and, but in order for that to to happen, like to be spread, like then that kind of happened. And then there were like message boards and people were talking about running and that sort of spread it. And then it kind of like, that's how I think that the, 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 on the competitive end, like things grew, but also those ideas were kind of made it down to sort of people just starting and like the running room and stuff like that, where it's like, Oh, like you can do this too. And this is how you can do it. And it's actually, because I think if you think about it as like, oh, running is, you know, three workouts a week, very intense, that's difficult to enter. If running is like a lot of easy volume, that's much easier to enter, right? As a, as a newbie, it, you know, if you're a newbie, you're not going to start just like hammering at the track, you, you're going to get hurt and it's not going to be as fun. But if mm -hmm. it's like going for a run with, with friends and then all of a sudden you do that for a while and then you're like, Hey, wait a minute. Like this is comfortable now I'm fast now or faster. Oh, maybe I want to do a race. Right. So like, I think that, you know, has, has allowed things to just sort of grow and everything. That's the, the positive side. I feel like the negative side is that, you know, there's probably people out there that like, like the idea of being a runner more than actually running yeah. and, and, and just sort of like they're posting lots of stuff on Instagram, but they're not like running and like, you know, I guess like whatever, like I don't really, have a lot of time for that i don't care like it's fine if you want to do that it's your life i don't really like i have an instagram account but because i have to sort of manage the university one so i have it but i don't really use it i even stopped using strava 
and I, I think Strava on the whole, maybe not a great thing. Like our, our assistant coach, Joe did some research on it and cause she's doing like a psych degree. And so she used that as a project and found that generally doesn't make people feel good. Like Strava doesn't help motivate as much as we like to think it does. Um, so I don't know, like food for thought, like I think people it's, it's just part of people's lives now. Um, and so it's, it's not easy to just be like, I'm going to go off Strava. It's like, you have to feel like you have to make an announcement that you're going to go off Strava, but the, right. the whole point would be like, no, you wouldn't do that. You would just stop doing it. Yeah. Right? So it's, wonder, it's challenging. It's challenging. You wonder if it, if it would be where it is today without the social media outlets. Um, and you know, maybe the definition has broadened in terms of what a runner mm-hmm looks like you know um and certainly you have the elite side but then you also have the weekend warrior or i'm going to show up where there's a photographer (laughs) kind of of runner um let's say right though you it it open it does like the more people that sort of see it and learn about it then it's it's an option like i don't know running's not for everybody if you don't like running you don't have to run right but but i think for people who want to and want to know about it then they're they're that the internet and social media does allow you to, you know, go find things like, you know, I'm this podcast, like I'm sure like 95% of people will achieve this podcast by social media somehow. It's probably where they'll find it. So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not all bad. Like it's a tool like anything else. Right. Like it's just, I just, I just find like for me, um, it's, I don't have a lot of space for it in my life. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other things going on. I, I like, the essence of running as as what it is like i love to run without those things i will still do it i as a creative i have a hard time just posting regularly for like let's say the show for example um i like the action i like how it makes me feel like that has kept me in shape uh, you know and late into my 30s and you know taught me a lot about myself too so yeah i think we all have our different reasons and and you know we all do it for for different things. And mm-hmm. I think, but the bottom line is, you know, if you're getting out there and moving, I think that's a, that's a good thing too, on a positive, if we ended yeah. on a positive note, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, um, where do I want to go with this next? I mean, um, can kind of to that point, can like a weekend warrior or, uh, someone who's less experienced follow an elite plan or be with like, you know, a coach like yourself? Well, those are two different things. Like you wouldn't follow an elite plan because you presumably the person you described is not there yet. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I, I coach, you know, I coach lots of people. Um, and from, you know, like the, you know, the incoming university athletes are are probably less developed than, than some of the adult recreational athletes who also who kind of consider themselves maybe less competitive. Um, so it's, it's all relative. Um, you know, uh, I think I will say like, I, I'm not, I don't really enjoy coaching like pure beginners. Um, I think that there's, there's a lot of, re- there are a lot of resources out there for people to get started into running that, that, you know, don't require me. Um, I think that at a certain point though, what a coach does is it gives you that kind of accountability, um, of like someone else that, you know, knows about your running and it just to sort of go back to the social media. Like that's one thing that it does do as well. If, you know, if you're kind of on Strava and you're posting your runs and then your followers see you don't run and they're like, Hey, why aren't you running? Um, like maybe that's something that you, you need, but I think, 
um, you know, just in general, the, the role of the coach is yes, there's the planning, but it's also the back and forth. And it's just to have, cause runners are, you know, runners will question. And so you have to have someone to help you talk through those questions, mm -hmm. um, is, is what I think that's, I view like my main role really. And like, there's sort of bigger basic questions, like what is the training this week? <laughs> um, which doesn't, you know, necessarily always have a lot of back and forth. Sometimes it does, but once you get in a role, then it's, it's easier to sort of like, you just adapt on the margins. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, a couple examples I gave earlier, like, oh, things aren't going great this week. Like, what should I do? Or, you know, so yeah, I think that's the role of the coach is, is really to, to be that, that voice and that support. What, what, at what age, what's the earliest age that maybe kids can start to run or follow kind of running plans, would you say? Hmm. I mean, running, you know, kids run everywhere, so they're always running. Um, I have two kids, nine and four. Um, they don't, they don't run in any kind of structure. Um, they do play some sort of sports. Uh, my older kid plays hockey and in the winter and then in the summer, he's just been in a lot of different camps, like tried to put him in a variety of things. He did like a fencing archery camp with some gymnastics involved. He did a parkour camp, which is like, you know, running in like parkour. <laughs> so I, I always have to say like Michael Scott parkour, <laughs> um, but parkour is awesome. Like it's, it's actually one of the, the coolest and like useful sort of kid development things because there's, there's a whole podcast on it that actually, so I, I, I'm sometimes bad with names. I, I can get it to you after and you can like put it in the show notes or something. But like um, the, the, I came across, it was suggested to me and the physio was in Santa Cruz and that runner Sam I mentioned earlier is also in Santa Cruz. I said, Hey, you know this guy? And she's like, Oh yeah, he was my first physio back when. So I was like, okay, I'll listen to this. And he was talking about how, you know, just because of like whatever phones and video games and stuff and like kids aren't moving as much. And so, but like parkour is the thing, if you're going to do like a structured program that replicates like all the stuff kids used to do, like jungle gym, jumping around, climbing and all that sort of stuff. Um, so like, yeah, my kids, you know, like Mike likes to bike a lot. Um, and the younger one has decided like he, he learned to bike. So he got off his, his, um, training wheels and everything. Um, but then he was like, I want to skateboard. So now he's like trying to skateboard, which is like, I'm okay with that. Like, it seems good. It's, you know, balance and proprioception and stuff like that. And like, it's good. I love it when the kids fall down and get back up. It's always good. You got to learn to learn to do that. Um, our club has like a, a program for kids that starts, I think about age seven and it's a structured program where they do like running and jumping and throwing. And there's little, like little mini hurdles and stuff like that. Um, I think that, you know, going out for a run on a regular basis is probably not something that I, I wouldn't like, like suggest it to a kid like before maybe like 12 or something, but like, you'll get kids that'll be like, I want to go for a run. And so, you, you know, you do like, I think that's fine. Um, there's, there's, um, a document on the athletics Canada website. So I, I, I don't know if we mentioned this, but I, my role, I work for Athletics Canada, which is the national sporting organization for track and field and athletics in Canada. And my role is to manage coaching education. Um, my prior role was, I uh, was the manager of off-track programs, which is like road running and, and trail running and stuff. And so what I, at that time we had a, um, it actually predated me, but there was a report about kids and running and like they gave different ages for different distances. So it's like, you know, race of 5k, like under sort of 12 and the race of 10 K I like, I don't know, 15. I'm, I'm not, I can, again, I can get you the report. Um, 
And and like that's you know it was sort of to help ra- road races who were getting requests like can my three year old well no can my like ten year old run a marathon like eh, probably not you know um, like why like why do they need to do that right um, but like a five k yeah like sure you know like my my son did run um, he ran a, a couple one k's when he was like five or six like at the LaSalle 10k race like there's like a 1k for kids and so you it's like daddy's running I want to run too so we did it together and stuff and mm-hmm. he's less interested in it now but like yeah he ran you know he ran for for a k a couple times you know so I think you know the best hopefully you know like you know like me like you have someone in your elementary school who's like he's a good running coach or there's a local club that has a kids program and I think that's the best way to go is is to to kind of go that, that route, because, you know, there's ideally people there who've sort of done the training and know sort of how to build up the kids in the right way. There's like a concept we call long-term athlete development. So LTAD or L- LTD long-term development, because athlete participant, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's various sort of principles on this and just certain things that like before a certain age, like you don't do uh, anaerobic intervals with kids because their system is not really able to handle it as well um or in some ways too well so what can happen is if you hammer like a 12 year old kid with like intervals they'll get real fast but they'll probably not like running and they probably they're it'll sort of like they won't necessarily be able to progress beyond a certain point because their their system is like i don't rev too high or something like that so there's certain things that at certain ages or not necessarily chronological age, but stage of development, like pre post puberty and pre post like peak height velocity of like growth that you, you want to consider, um, you know, for, for stuff. And so, yeah, I don't know. Is that the answer? Yeah, no, yeah, that's perfect. And it kind of leads me into something else. Like I ask a lot of athletes who saw the potential in you, or did you realize it in yourself? You know, because a lot of times, sometimes it's an outside eye that kind of says something to them or, you know, realize yeah. that they have this potential yeah. uh, for for running, and maybe it happens later, maybe it happens sooner. So, are there characteristics in athletes that you see that makes you adapt to them, or you know, want to take them on, or change your coaching style to kind of harness that talent? It's a good question. I mean, nobody ever said to me like, "Oh, you have potential," um, probably because I didn't. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> you didn't, uh, you didn't make the Olympics. So <laughs> no, no, actually that's not true. I did get, I did get a letter once from my high school coach and it was a letter that he copied from a coach in uh, like Washington state or something. And it was a letter this coach is sort of like a, a form letter in a way, but this coach and this, this, this coach's name was Steve something. He was actually like a teammate of Steve Prefontaine's. Oh, wow. um, and he ended up coaching like Gonzaga University. Anyways, he basically said like, you're getting this letter because I think that you have, yeah, the potential to be special and like, it's going to be hard and you're going to have to do different things and stuff. I think that they, the coach, I, I don't know, I assume gave it to everyone on our team to kind of, for our team to like feel like, we, you know, so like, yeah, like the high school experience for me was quite like, you know, high, high level. But like, I think for me, you know, um, things I'll look at is, say if I'm recruiting for university athletes, um, I'm actually looking at how much they have trained relative to where they're at. So it's less about like, what's your 5k time, but like how much you're training. Like if, if a kid is like, you know, banging out like hundred kilometer weeks in high school and they're running like 17 minutes, then I'm like, Hmm, like, like 
then maybe, you know, like, where do we go from here? But if a kid's like, you know, running like four times a week and they're, and they're, you know, doing, you know, whatever faster than that, or even 17, like same time, you want to pick time, like, then it's like, okay, so if we, if we can add the load to the load here and add here, then there's, there's potential to, to grow. So I think that that's something to look at. Also look at, you know, it's sort of a subjective thing, but a little bit like their, their attitude of like, what we talked about before, like, do they like to run? Cause like to, if, if you want to talk about success, maybe not Olympics, but just like, you know, you want to be like a top university athlete, like y- you have to like running and want to run like every day. Um, and if you don't, then you could grow to love it. Like you don't have to love it. And I, this is something that's changed. Actually, I had a good conversation with, um, with, uh, uh, other Justin, Justin Fafferley, um, who, uh, is a coach and athlete in our club, um, about this, like just about how much of my job is really to motivate people. Cause I kind of think like, you know, if you're not motivated, then like, what, what can I do for you? Right. But, but he took a bit of a different approach and becoming from where he is as a coach, he coaches Dawson college. So it's like Sage up in Quebec and it's very, a lot of the athletes are very new. And so he's got to figure out a way to get them to love it, like in order to have a team, right. In order for there to be a team that people are just coming and like, I think I want to be a runner. What's that? You know? Um, and so I was like, okay, like, yeah. And it's sort of like a fake it till you make it situation. Right. It's like, okay, like you want to be a good university runner. So like, let's just, just kind of go all in and, and really like live the life. And maybe you're going to decide like, no, it's not for me. But then at a certain point, I think most people who end up successful are like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I love this. Right. And, and, and having a team as well, it's sort of like, okay, like I'm not going through this alone. Like running can be very solitary. Um, you know, but, but having a team, it's like, okay, everybody else is like going through the same herd as me. So somehow that makes it bearable. Right. Um, and, and if we talked about, you know, the third rule of thirds and it's like, if I don't feel like going for a run today, but my teammate is like gung ho, then I'll tag along and I got my run done. And then mm-hmm. maybe the next time he's tagging along with me because I feel great. And he's like, uh, so, you know, so it, it helps. So I think that that kind of like what their approach to running is and like why they, you know, why they want to run. Like I got a very nice, uh, email from a, a prospective recruit where she just sort of explained her, her desire to like her, her curiosity to get better. And she was like, I, I didn't actually race in Sage yet, but I, I kept running and I was like, you know, wanted to try different things to see like, you know, how good I could get and stuff. And to me, that's the key. Like if, you know, what I, what I want from an athlete to say to me is I want to see how good I can be. And that's like for me, right? Like, so if we're talking about Justin, Justin's, you know, like you say, like in the thirties and like working guy and whatever, like that's not going to be the same thing as someone else, but like, it's how good can Justin be? And I think, I think I actually told you that too, when we started working together. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that's, I love it. Like that's, that's what you want because then, then you're, then you have like, as a coach, I have that sort of (laughs) that backup to be like, well, you said you wanted to do this and, and, but for yourself too, you're like, okay, like I have a, you have to have a why, you know? And, um, and that's, I think the best why, because it's, it's the one that you kind of have the most control over. Like you can say, you know, I want to win this race. But if someone else has a better day, like it's not in your control necessarily. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's good to have those goals too, because they, they, you know, races help you get to your best self. Like if you, you know, we wouldn't have, if we didn't have races, then 
people would be a lot slower because like that's just that feeling of like you're running and there's other people and you're chasing them right like you don't even have to know them it doesn't matter like you're in a you know in a big marathon and you're like okay like that that person right there i'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with that person and then you're like oh I'm feeling good i'm gonna go past this person look at that person over there like and it's not you know again co- competition is not it's not a bad thing it's like it's it's a it comes from the latin word uh like compare or whatever it means to strive together so competition is something that we do together and and yeah there's there's one winner of a race but but everybody else is pulled along so that's you know that's the value in it to me so yeah i think the the person's attitude is is key and that's to me that's the best attitude is like i want to see what i can do Mm -hmm. and yeah and you see that in like a lot of different sports too where the competition I mean, you hear about a lot in boxing, like this person brought out the best like mm. fighter in me, you know, and mm. someone's got to lose that that fight in a ring. You know, um, mm. I guess you can kind of compare it a little bit. You know, you're not getting your face knocked in, but, you yep. know, and like I'm sure, too, in your experience, you've seen people with like maybe a bad attitude, but all the talent and then somebody who's just got the great attitude, not mm. quite as good collegiately and surpass them later on like there's so many examples of people that weren't great in school and then yeah. you know like they're great now you know and yeah so you said the you said the magic word talent i'm gonna promo this book talent joe baker he's a, a prophet york in toronto and um i did a podcast or webinar i guess uh with him through athletics canada and yeah like talent is a is a super interesting word a super interesting concept um, you know, and, and so his theory is that we, we've kind of got it wrong and we, we, um, we valorize talent and the, the fact that you tell someone they're talented is going to have an effect on them. And we don't know if it's going to be positive or negative. Right. So I think there is, there is talent. Like it, it is the case that not everybody is created equal and some people have, you know, physical or psychological attributes that are going to make them better at certain things than other people. Like, it's just, you know, like, uh, Mohammed is more talented than you and I, it's just, you know, he also probably works a lot harder, right? So it's not just talent. Um, but, but that, that it is a thing. And so it, but it goes back to what, what, um, you know, we were just talking about, like, it doesn't matter what your talent level is if your goal is to get the most out of yourself. So, and, and talent can be lots of different things. Talent can be like your adaptation to certain types of training. Like someone might, you know, do VO2 max training and like get a super big boost. But if you look at like, this is another reason why, you know, I'm not so much on the energy system sort of paradigm of, of training is if you go deeper into the studies that show like, you know, if you do these people all did VO2 max training and then their VO2 max improved and their performance, but like actually within the group some people did vo2 max training and and their their performance decreased so not everybody is the same that way and some people have different adaptations like altitude's the same way some people go to altitude and it's great some people go to altitude and it doesn't work um so and you know as a coach you can't necessarily know what those things are you know specifically scientifically but you work with the athlete to you try different things and you see what you know, works and what doesn't work and you adjust. Like I I find it usually takes me about a year of coaching someone to get their general tendencies and, and, you know, and, and often they align with sort of likes and dislikes, although sometimes not like, so, um, I coach uh, a group of women and, and now, now there's a a guy actually, um, in, in Washington, DC 
And it started because um, a Nick Besso, do you know a Nick? She no. was in the club for a while. You guys probably didn't overlap because she moved to D.C. So <laughs> before you came. So she was in, in our club and she moved to D.C. Uh, her husband got a job there and she started running there and she got in with this run club. And they were running and, and like it, it was like a case of, you know, the workouts. She was like doing OK in the workouts and then she would crush them all in races. And they were like, what? what is your secret? What's going on? And she's like, well, I have this coach. <laughs> so we went down to visit like the family. Uh, I went down to visit her and stuff. And and we did sort of like a, like a, like a Tupperware party type thing where I just pitched, you know, pitched my coaching to these women. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they were mostly marathoners and, and this one Liz was like less inclined on the marathon, but she was like doing half marathons and stuff like that. And like, but then she was like, "No, yeah, I'm only gonna do 10k's." And so it's this has been a while now that I've been coaching Liz, and Liz actually moved to Mexico and then moved back to DC. Um, and actually, when she moved in Mexico, she met Rodrigo, mm-hmm. who she recommended to me. And Rodrigo was on your podcast, right? Yeah, <laughs> you've met Rodrigo, I have. so um, yeah, total so fluke. like, yeah, so you know, like these things. So anyway, but Liz, like, you know, she was in this group of of you know, it's very typical sort of like adult, you know, recreational competitive people wanting to do marathons, but, but like, it was not her thing. And like now this year she's been doing track, like she's been going running like miles on the track and five kids on the track and, and not, you know, where she started out at all, but that was where her, if you want to call it talent really lies. And, and I think that, you know, just sort of as like a, a pitch for track, like a lot of, you know, those, sort of that adult competitive group, tends to think, oh, I'm too slow for track or whatever. But like, you don't know that. Like, it's just because you started running, you know, I don't know, via the running room or run club and you just sort of like everyone's doing a marathon and that's just where you go. But, but you know, maybe not. Maybe your talents lie elsewhere and it's worth uh, experimenting. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, wh- where do you see people getting the most progress in out of their training? It just as in a general sense, like where do people, how do people progress the most? No matter what uh, level they're at. I mean, I, I'll go back to volume. Like I think there's, I, I did uh, years ago with the group I coached, I did as a very sort of uh, unscientific experiment where I just sort of just collected all the data and the people who ran more ran faster. Um, there was a bit of a kink in the curve where like people who ran about it was up to 300 minutes a week you would improve even if you didn't do any uh any intensity and then add about 300 minutes a week of running like if you didn't do intensity you wouldn't get better anymore even if you started increasing you had to go like had to add the intensity um but yeah and then and just like no matter what the intensity like some people were like more than 20 percent or whatever and it didn't matter the intensity it was like I asked like a stats prophet UCAM to like, I said like, here, I have these numbers. Like, do these make sense? Like, oh yeah, this is the correlation. Like it's, it's volume to performance a hundred percent. Um, so, so I think that that's the key. Um, you still have to do all the other things, but I think that being able to run more, um, and then I think the other one and you know, that, that people can get a big improvement on, um, that, that not a lot of runners are inclined to do or want to do is strength training. Um, yeah. it's one of your pre questions, like the strength training. Like, I think that's something where people can really grow. And, um, so I read a book, I mean, I read a few things, but I read a book called intervention by Dan John. It's quite an entertaining book. Cause he, he's, he's very kind of conversational, uh, about it, but he, he kind of breaks it down into like, there's five fundamental movements, right? There's pushing, pulling, 
um, the squatting, hinging, which is like a deadlift movement, and then a carry, walk a carry, like walking carry or whatever. Right. And so, if you, you know, for strength, if you just focus on those five things, um, you'll make yourself stronger. And you know, if you're starting from nothing as a runner, then that's when you do, you know, you do kind of like the more endurance sets of like, you know, three times fifteen or whatever. Um, as you gain ability in, in doing the movements and they're not hard. Like sometimes people are afraid of strength training because like, Oh, it's so technical and I don't want to do it wrong and get injured. Like you're not getting injured yourself doing a squat. Like a squat is very simple. Even a deadlift, like, you know, you can watch a YouTube video and, and figure it out. Like, yes, there's potential to be injured, but only if you try to lift too much, <laughs> you know, like you won't injure yourself doing like a kettlebell swing with like, you know, 10 pounds and a kettlebell swing, like those between the leg kettlebell swings, that's a deadlift. Like that's what mm -hmm. you're supposed to be doing, right? You're supposed to have the, the shins para or perpendicular and the, the quad coming down to like almost parallel, parallel, right? And that's, that's the hinge movement. So very basic, like starter movements, do push-ups, do chin-ups. That's a push and a pull right there. Body squats or squat jumps. If like, if you can do like a million body squats without getting tired, squat jumps, kettlebell swing, or just even like, just do the hinge movement without anything. And then lunges is a good, or you can just walk like the farmer walk is just pick up heavy stuff and walk. Mm -hmm. And and that basic stuff that anybody can do really, like I'd say deadlift is the most complicated one where I like, just at practice this week, I noticed like we were doing circuits in the park and and that was the circuit essentially. Um, one, like she wasn't going down enough on the, on the hinge deadlift. And I was like, where's your range of motion there? And she's like, I can't do it. So you might have to like work on range of motion, do it assisted. So you'd like hold a bar and like, you're not, you know, no weight, you're just forcing yourself into like a seating position and back up and holding the bar for stability so that your body can actually do the movement first. Mm -hmm. And then you do it without assistance and then you load it up because people want to load, but like if you load it and you can't do the thing, that's where you get hurt. Right. So make sure that you can do the full range of motion thing and then and then you load up and like everything that's, you know, useful, you could say in in sort of in lifting is in that is in those five categories and is in a continuum like push ups and bench press. Same thing. Right. Even like squats. and Well, you could say squat or dead, depending on more deadlift deadlift for like um, cleans. Right do clean but you can also add a squat if you do the cleans like because you can do like a what's it called like a power clean where you use basically a deadlift movement but you keep going up and you come up and then when the catch becomes like a squat right if you go deep in the squat catch so you're doing like a, a deadlift and a squat with like explosiveness in the middle it's the same thing it's just more advanced so you start where you are right you don't have to go to power cleans or cleans like you know, you might not even do that like for years if, if, if it's working for you the way it is. So I, I think that strength training can be really helpful. Um, I try to encourage people to do it mm -hmm. and then I find people love it. Like once you get into it, it's like super fun. So yeah, I'm happy to report that I'm, I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now and I feel I had a hip issue and somehow it's creating some better balance in, in myself and yeah, seeing improvements in the repetition and it's helping my running. I'm taught my legs are tired from you know squatting and stuff like that no weights all body weight stuff but hopefully that leads me you know i i was talking to you more about like i wasn't feeling strong in my body and then I, maybe reflecting on my try you know a few years of doing triathlon so brought back some biking and some strength training and i i seem to 
I'm feeling better anyways. In my yeah, skin, so. that's good. That And that's what you want. I think that's the feeling, right? Of feeling strong. Like I think sometimes runners, it's a cyclical movement. It's a repetitive movement. And if you only run and you do a lot of running, which is something that's required, um, you're moving your body in a certain way all the time, but you're not developing like an athlete, like, you know, someone who can move. Cause like, think about just in terms of injury risk, right? If you don't do any strength training or you don't do any, any movements outside the running movement, and you're running along and you there's a hole and you have to avoid it. And like you've never done like a, a lunge to the side or something like that. Like you might hurt yourself that way. Mm-hmm. But but if you're doing, if you're having like the like the it's not strength training, but it's like the warm-up stuff with like the lunge matrix and the leg swings and stuff like that, then then you at least you know you're you're doing that sometimes and and you know your your body's like ready for it. So it it helps to prevent injury, that kind of freak injury, but also just it balances out you know, because you can get injured overuse injury, like runners tend to be sort of you know, quad dominant and not engage the hips or, or not the hip, well, the hips, but like the, the glutes and the hamstrings. If you do the strength and you're using them, then they become more engaged and they will be used in the running. Like this was a big problem for me when I was a runner, I was always having hip flexor issues. And it was because the, the hip flexors were being called upon to do more work because the glutes were weak. And so because the glutes were weak, the body was like, mm, we're not going to ask you to do any work because, you know, like it's like when you ask your kid to like clean up and they do a bad job on purpose so they don't have to do the job. That's what my glutes, that's my glutes. That's what my glutes yeah. are doing. They're like, eh. yeah. you know, so then you, you go in the weight room and you make the glutes active. And then when, when it comes to the, you know, to ask them to do some work, then they're there and they're, they're, they're activated and it's yeah. like, ah. Okay. And then it takes the pressure off the front side and then you're, you're less likely to get an overuse injury. Yeah. And you were actually, I mean, I remember you were bringing us to the weight room before we were doing track sessions and we were activating before and then hammering on the, on the track, which was fun. When you're, when you're a regular runner, when you, you've, you've established like, oh, I'm going to run every day or, you know, with one rest day a week or whatever that is, you know, that can span over years and years, like, like for myself. So is there like recommended rest blocks? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think you, you definitely want to take some time, you know, where you're not in that mode of like progressing or like focus training. It's important to to be able to reset and like and even just to go back to like the the fundamentals of training, right? So the volume part, the aerobic part. So the aerobic metabolism, you can train that like indefinitely. I mean, obviously there are limits like to how much time you have, but like if you keep you know, increasing your volume, your body will keep responding. The anaerobic metabolism less so like you do these hard intervals. Yes. Like you'll adapt over a short period of time and you'll adapt very quickly, but then you stop adapting. And so you need to kind of reset the body and go into a different mode first in order to get, go be able to go back to the anaerobic stuff. So like when I did this coaching course, it was like the, whatever, like the world athletics coaching course, um, that that's what the, the guy was saying. He was like, you know, we rely so much on like, you know, 1500 meter pace type stuff. And it's like, we do way too much of that. Like you, over the course of like eight weeks, if you're doing like, if you do four really good hard sessions of that, then you've, you've created the adaptations necessary there, but it's not going to, it's not, you can't do better with like five sessions or with like 12 weeks. So you kind of have to time it. And this goes back to like Lydiard, like Lydiard figured this out the the base phase and then the hill phase and then the interval phase like that's that there's something to that like we now things are a little more mixed and we do do kind of everything all at once a little bit more but there there can be 
different periods of you know different focuses so there's the in the base phase you're still doing some intervals as so you're just doing these like mini progressions or whatever and then you might do more tempos and stuff like that but so <clears throat> so yeah like the you know after your goal race like you should you should set goals i think setting goals is important and so if you set a goal of a of a race or of a, you know maybe it's a race series at the end of that season then just a week where you don't have anything structured you know, you do other stuff. Um, and it's okay. Like you're not going to lose your fitness. Like they, they, you know, they've done studies where like, if you sit on the couch for like 10 days, you're going to lose maybe like five to 7% of your fitness, which is like nothing. And no one sits on the couch for 10 days unless they're injured, injured. Yeah. Right. So you're still going to be out walking. Maybe, you know, you go for light bike ride instead of running and just like physically, but mentally just like get out of the grind of, of training. Cause like we talked about, like, every day is not, you know, the best day. And so you, you want to kind of get out of there and, and, and feel like, you know, when you come back, like I really want to train. Right. And some people like two days after the marathon, they're like, I want to train. And you kind of have to be like, no, like mentally maybe you're there right now, but physically you need to stop and just chill. And, and actually post-marathon recovery is one of the toughest because it, it goes in waves and, you know, the better trained you are going in, the better you're going to feel after. So that, you know, people will tend to want to go and, you know, go for little runs. But I think I tend to say, okay, just take like a week off, go for walks, like, you know, no rush. You're not going to run another marathon anytime soon. Um, and then, you know, when you get back to it, there's going to be good days and bad. Like you're going to feel good. And then you're going to go for a run. And you're going to be like, what just happened? Like, you know, and then when you try to start coming back to workouts, like I, there's a, you know, it's a, one of those rules that's like, it sounds too simple to be accurate, but it's like one mile per of race per day of recovery. So if you run a marathon, 26 days of no workouts, you can run, but no workouts. Um, but it, it kind of works. And like, I feel like that's, you know, pretty good. And, and, um, you know, the, uh, coached someone who ran Boston and, and she just came back too soon and she just like, like she crashed, like she couldn't, like she was getting so mad and frustrated at workouts. And I was, you know, I, it's like, I, I think, I don't think you should be here. Like, I don't know, send somebody away, but at the same time, it's like, no, like go do other stuff, you know, because, because then, then you'll be, when you come back, you'll be able to enjoy it more and you'll be like into it. But now you're just fighting it and it's not going to go away because it's not going to get better until you don't do it for a while. So yeah, you definitely want to have breaks. And I think, you know, bigger picture cyclical breaks, like, you know, different things happen in life you move move continents or something (laughs) as you're aware of and you you know maybe that requires a bit of a longer break or sometimes with big things in life running is is actually the thing that that tethers you and and you maybe you're not doing like a structured plan but you're still running every day because that feels good and that's that's a bit of a break too right it's just so yeah definitely breaks are key and and it's it's micro and macro like you know you do intervals you take a break between intervals you have hard days you have easy days Mm -hmm. build your volume for a couple weeks to build your load and then you take a week you know down week and same you have seasons and you know some years i don't know i took like six months off running this year so (laughs) not planned no (laughs) but whatever yeah and like and covid was a bit that way like unstructured running just get out of the mm-hmm. house get my sanity back uh for a lot of people a lot of people got moving during that time too so that mm-hmm. was kind of good what mm-hmm. what are some of the maybe the big picture lessons that that you've learned um through coaching through running that ha- have bring brought you something like or brought something to your life uh I think I was thinking about this and I think stick to the plan. 
it always comes back to me, stick to the plan and not in the sense of like, okay, it says I have to do like, you know, 10, 400s at whatever, 84, like stick to the plan. Like, you know, just keep, trust the plan, keep going and like kind of, or another way of putting it. And this is something my dad said to me once, um, think slowly, think slowly, like don't, don't overreact, let things play out. Um, I think that, you know, whenever I've made a mistake, uh, in coaching, which is, you know, it ha- happens really frequently, hopefully less so. Um, but like it does happen and, and it's, it's always been for, for doing something, not for not doing something, if you know what I mean. Um, and so I think, yeah, letting, letting things play out, let, you know, being patient, um, that's, and you know, it's, it, it affects other things in life too. Uh, you, you know, you, in, in work and stuff like, you know, you, sometimes you get an email and you just want to fire an answer right back. Maybe just not. Maybe just think about it a bit. Maybe just wait and and see if someone else you know throws himself on the grenade for you, or if another solution presents itself, or things like that. So I think that's you know for sure as a person, I've grown in that sense. Uh, less less uh, hair trigger. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah, and I mean, you're doing such a great job with all the athletes that, that you coach and. Um, kind of international now you could say you got runners sprinkled a little bit everywhere and um i, I guess that's a growing thing are you taking on more athletes now or are you kind of I, no no i mean i'm always open to it i i think um you know because it always sort of comes one one at a time i don't do you know like advertising or promotion i don't have a website i don't have social media as we said um so it's mostly through word of mouth um and so like, I think uh, Anik really was the key, like just her moving to DC, uh, collected, uh, quite a few. Um, I did, so there's, so just to like geographically, there's, yeah, there's a couple in DC, there's, uh, Rodrigo in Mexico, there's you in Switzerland, um, there's Sam in California. And then, so Sam came because of Chessa, who's in Vancouver now. Chessa was recommended to me by a physio, uh, Mary Lou Lamy, who, so she is from Quebec, but um, I met her and her husband, Peter. Peter Cardle is sort of a former national team runner. Um, and uh, they were in, they were living in Quebec because she's from Quebec. And I met her and got to know Peter really well. And then they moved back to BC. And I guess Chessa was seeing Mary Lou and and she she had a, a broken, she still has a broken sesamoid bone. So there's like a little circular bone in the foot and it, if it breaks, it breaks and it doesn't heal. So it's just in there and it's just broken, whatever. Um, and so I guess just she was seeing Mary Lou for that and she was talking about different things. And Mary was like, you know, you should have a coach. Maybe you should, uh, maybe you should, I'll introduce you to John. Um, so I started working with her and then, but she was in, in, in Santa Cruz and then she met Sam and so introduced to Sam. And, um, and then now actually there's a second person in, in California, Lauren, who's friends with Sam. So it just kind of goes like that. And, and, yeah. you know, I'm, I, yeah, if someone wants to, uh, work with me, I'm very open to it. You know, we usually have a call and like, I, I mean, I have, I have said no to people, I guess sometimes like, uh, if it's not a fit or just I feel like it's, yeah, if it's not a fit, I don't know. It's gotta be a fit. Um, and it's gotta be a fit for them too. Like uh, if someone meets me and they're like, no, then I'm like, okay, sure. Like that's mm-hmm. not a problem. Like I, I don't, I'm not trying to corner the market on and coach like every single runner. Um, I think, you know, and I, I want to, like, there's no hard cap, but I want to keep it at a number that I can manage and pay attention to everybody. 
um, you know, again, I don't have a website. I don't have like tiers and like there's no like you get one email per week or it's just like whatever you need and however you want to communicate with me, then let's do that. Like I use, like I said, Final Surge app, but like sometimes people, you know, use WhatsApp and they message me there or yeah. uh, whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely open to it. Um, and I think I like I, I just I don't know. <laughs> I like all the people that I coach and I like seeing them improve and reaching their goals and it's fun and and sometimes it reaches an end i coached a super interesting woman louise wood is her name she found me because i used to write articles for canadian running magazine and she like she was like i liked i liked what you were saying in the article so i tried to find your email and uh she was though so at the time when i was coaching she was like 70 plus um and you know like her goals were like two hour marathon or half marathon, something like that. But she was in the seventies, one of the first women in Canada to run competitively for a university. Wow. So like when they first were like allowing women to run for university, she was one of the first ones. So she had like a long career of running and, but you know, she was older and you know, as things go, you slow down. And so, yeah, so we worked together for a while and then, and then she was like, yeah, I think, you know, I think you need something a bit different. And I don't even know, like we, we still stay in touch. Like my she lives sort of just outside Ottawa in the country and my it's on the way to my my uh, mom's family's cottage. So in the summer, if we drive by her town, we'll sort of arrange to meet for ice cream and stuff and just just chat and whatever. So it's, you know, like it's sort of like that. Like, I yeah. I, yeah. So I'm open. <laughs> how, how and how would hard, you... hard sell hard sell? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's great. Word of mouth is, is great. And you find authentic people to to train and. Um, people kind of know what you're about and that's it's it is what it is right like how how would you want to be remembered i mean i don't hmm. see you stopping coaching anytime soon you've been already doing it for so long how would you like to be remembered as a coach and yeah maybe like what do you most like about it that's a good question i think that um i you know i would like to be remembered as someone who um the runner you know, or the athlete, uh, connects with, connected with, and, and, you know, was, I was able to help them reach, reach their goals, reach their potentials, you know? And I think, you know, there's some, some people that I've coached, I've coached a lot of people, like, especially through the university that, you know, you just sort of, you don't really hear from them. And then, and then sometimes you do, and it's great because like, you know, you just don't, I mean, it's just numbers. Like you just don't think of these people anymore, you know, because you saw them for three years when they were an undergrad and, but then like they send you a note because like, you know, we do fundraising for the university program and stuff. And so you're asking and they're like, you know, like, I just want to say like, I had so much fun in the team and thank you so much. And it's just like, it's so nice because like, I just don't, I don't know. I don't really think of that as something that like, I'm not, while I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for that email 20 years from now. <laughs> right. Um, and just like, I mean, so Ryan, uh, this guy, Ryan Noah Hodge, he was, I don't know, he's probably for now the, probably the best stinger runner that we had in the last 20 years and he just had his first kid. So, you know, he's sending me pictures and stuff and it's like, we you know try to stay in touch and everything. And so, it's, you know, it's good. Like you, you, you like to see how people grow. And I think that's the main thing is like, you see people grow as people. And especially when you start coaching them younger, like at the beginning of university, like when they're not quite, you know, fully formed humans yet <laughs> and they're figuring things out and, and then, and then, you know, just the development in that time. And then, and then after that, when you see them later and you're like, wow, like, I think it's weird. Like I, two, two guys I've coached have gone on to become helicopter pilots in the military. And, and one <laughs> other guy is on his way to being a, like a jet fighter pilot. 
Wow. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's a type, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's yeah so cool. you're drawing in some kind of athlete, you know, that's uh, yeah. also got that as a career path too. So yeah, I guess, I guess they're, they're, whenever they're running, they're, they're kind of flying. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, John, uh, I mean, we could continue this for another hour and a half. Like we're already over Joe my, Rogan style. <laughs> over my threshold uh, yeah. for my normal episodes, but it's just because it was super interesting to, to talk about all these things. And I mean, yeah. we just scratched the surface on it, but yeah, it was nice to have a conversation outside of our normal chats and um yeah thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and your, your wisdom with us and it's great working with you and yeah all the best uh with your recovery too yeah thanks i i appreciate it. i love to like i said i love to chat love to talk about stuff and and i hope that you know i hope that people will hear stuff and go like oh yeah okay that's helpful you know like it's not going to be everything but like maybe one thing when you're like oh okay i could do that you know um that's you know that's sort of like you said like what does it mean to be a coach wherever that's it. it's just helping people and, and stuff so i think that's uh yeah hopefully that comes out of this and uh i'm definitely gonna definitely gonna send the send this to the team and like in lieu of like a big speech i can be like i oh, just listen to this podcast <laughs> we can figure out we can figure out what i'm what i'm about so good yeah i'm sure they'll love to hear from it and hear from you uh, a little bit more thanks so much Sean. yeah thank you for having me take care Thanks for tuning in to the Just In Stride podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Please take a minute after this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. With your feedback, we'll be able to make the show even better and it'll help us reach new listeners too. You can also find us on Instagram at Just In Stride Pod for all the latest episodes and updates. Of course, this show wouldn't be possible without a solid team behind me with logo and design by Vanessa Pugliese, as well as audio, music, and editing by Forrest McKay. A huge thank you goes out to both of them. Guest outreach, social media, writing, and advertising are handled by me, your host, Justin Pugliese. Finally, we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for coming along for the ride with Justin Stride.